That night, Grandmother woke me with a tap on the window. I rose and dressed in trousers and a shirt of homespun cotton, simple clothes that let in the cool summer breeze, crept through the hallways and met her in the garden. We returned as we always did, to the Temple of the Flame. She continued our lessons that night with the tales of Nayan's first heroes, who ruled their petty kingdoms before the time of the Sun Kings. She traced the runes and had me read along to the tale of Brittle Owl, who could not hunt or fight, but who tricked a dragon into sharing the secrets of written language, of Tawny Dog, who befriended a fox demon and learned to veer into the shape of a beast, of Iron Claw, who met the wolf gods in his dream, and with their guidance forged the disparate cities of Nayan into a kingdom that spanned the breadth of our island. Compared to Korahar's lessons, grandmothers were captivating. Sienese literature, in my experience, was thick with moralisms and analogy. In contrast, Nayeni tales were full of adventure, passion, and, most importantly, magic. One could often divine the ending of a Sienese narrative from a proper understanding of propriety and doctrine. The stories my grandmother told were suspenseful twisting and turning in unexpected ways, full of grit and vigour. Nonetheless, they felt hollow, a waste of time that only whetted my appetite for magic. When the tale of Iron Claw was done, Grandmother stowed the books in the chest beside the altar and led me in practising the iron dance. We still used dowels instead of blunted iron, as an accidental bruise to the face or the hand could be explained more easily than a broken arm. The air reverberated with the clash and crack of our blows. I was becoming a young man, full of energy and wildness, and I reveled in the physical release, letting my mind focus only on the next sweep of a weapon, while my arms and legs responded as though on their own. We came away drenched in sweat. I nursed my usual smattering of bruises, and Grandmother examined one of her own, where I had clipped her elbow. She told me to sit on the edge of the altar and passed me a gourd of water. You're getting better, she said breathlessly. I grinned and puffed out my chest. Pride was another quality constrained by the structures of Sienese propriety. Someday soon, I'll be better than you. Oh, really? She grinned. Really? I wiped my mouth and handed the gourd back to her. The web of pale scars on her hand stood out in the dark. And then? You'll have to teach me magic, whether you want to or not. I expected a rebuke. Almost every night I begged her to teach me the most secret of her arts, pointing to some minor accomplishment as proof that I had earned the right. Always she rebuffed me. That night, though, she sipped from the gourd and studied me, as though taking my request seriously for the first time. You are not ready to learn, she said eventually, and set the gourd between us. Then just as I was settling into familiar disappointment, she stood. But perhaps you are ready to witness. A flush of excitement bloomed in my chest and spread to the tips of my fingers and toes, I fought the urge to leap ahead of her as she led me out of the overgrown courtyard behind the Temple of the Flame. 
Ivy crawled over every surface and choked the fountain at the centre of the yard, which had once fed a now dry stream bed. A lonely pavilion stood beside the fountain. Grandmother knelt in its shadow and bade me kneel across from her. Nothing but vague silhouette beyond the dry stream bed in the light of the dim crescent moon. Watch closely, foolish cur, she said. I'll not show you again until you are ready to learn for yourself. With a head as thick and wool-stuffed as yours, the gods alone can say when that will be. A plan true to my name was forming in the thick, wool-stuffed head of mine. I remembered the rush of power I felt when she kindled a hearth and named me. The burst of warmth through my body. The sharp awareness of reality and the elation of freedom. Though she had hidden her hand from me then, and hid herself in shadow now, I thought I could learn her magic by feel alone. The scent of burnt cinnamon filled the air. My senses sharpened making every paving stone, every line of grain and every piece of wood, and every snarl in the ivy seem infinite in complexity and importance. As I watched, power suffused my grandmother's bones, filling, warping, and changing her flesh. I shut my eyes and focused on the oiled iron feel of the sorcery she worked, and the changes it carved into the fabric of the world. As the wake of a spell washed over me, my skin crawled and muscles clenched in rhythm with her transformation. When it ended, I felt a sudden chill, like being doused in cold water, and heard the flutter of wings. I opened my eyes, an eagle hawk perched on the rotted brackets of the lonely pavilion. I could tell it was grandmother, for I could trace the continuity of her power. An unknowing eye, though, would have seen only the bird. I gazed up at her, awe filling me like an inhaled breath. I half believed that she might be reading my mind, or I had felt my touch as I traced the pattern of her magic, for I did not know the limits of her powers. She watched me silently, then dropped to the earth and vanished into the shadow. The unfurling of her magic was faster than her veering had been. Things, after all, want to be what they are, and that is true of people more than anything else. After she had resumed her former shape, the burning smell and unsettling gravity of power clung to her like tobacco smoke. You've seen enough for today, boy, she said. You're a mean whelp that asks so much of an old woman. My knees hurt. Carry me back to the house. <laughs>